Good afternoon. It's 105.1 Life FM, Bendigo's Positive Choice. We are here again with Samuel Chisichetti, Q&A with Samuel. And uh, Samuel, we had a um, question that we've been tackling for the last couple of um, yep. weeks yep. Um, around sexuality. And, uh, and you've covered a number of um, things around that. You've talked about the cultural, what, um, what our culture currently views as sexuality. Yep. And, um, and you've also um, talked about how the church, how the Bible talks, what God's view of sexuality is. So yes. we talked about um, sensuality, intimacy, reproduction. We've talked about the unity and oneness of, of God. Yep. And, uh, and we're, we've sort of, we've sort of, Flesh that out a little bit, so it's yep. now time for you to uh, to wrap up what we were talking about. Now, we um, I think the where we have gotten um, some further uh, inquiry uh, on the questions because after we after we'd finished uh, discussing, uh, you remember last time as um, as we uh, we finished the uh, uh, the two weeks discussion we've had, and I had. Uh, established the the difference between our cultural understanding uh, of sexuality, uh, which the few things that are because it's it's on the basis of that which the the further question that were placed uh, for us to be able to uh, to look at, and I thought oh we can go a little bit further from there now. Uh, so I, I presented. Let me to just refresh your mind really quick, uh, ladies, as, as you were saying there. So I presented on. So if you can imagine, on one side of your ledger, uh, you had uh, the fact that uh, sexuality is uh, was sanctified by God. Uh, it symbolizes something far greater, which is the worship of God, and it has uh, the element of unity, the communion that you find within the community of God uh, in the Godhead. And so you find that the union, the two shall become one, one flesh. And that unity there uh, as the element of pleasure attached to that. And then the last uh, bit of what we said, at least on the God side of the later biblical side, is the reproduction. And so, uh, whereas for our culture, uh, we did highlight a, a number of things that you would uh, remember we we said. Uh, number one, we we talked about uh, you know, intimacy. Uh, we talked about uh, sexual identity. Uh, we talked about reproduction and, and 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 no sensuality first. Sensuality, intimacy, sexual identity, and reproduction. And and sexual identity is, is now the biggest item, mm. uh, even though all this. As I said, the difference between the biblical uh, view of sexuality is it's built on God, sanctified by God, and therefore uh, God gives it the meaning and the way it should therefore uh, be uh, be enjoyed and the way it should be used, which therefore puts the boundaries uh, around the concept of sexual uh, sexuality within the biblical worldview. Whereas our culture, however, uh, ground uh, sexuality in sensuality, the pursuit of the pleasure for self. Mm. So as long as the self has, has pleasure in what they're doing, and it is, uh, you know, mutually agreed, uh, so that, you know, everybody pursues the pleasure in that sense. For some reason, our culture has got something really against uh, uh, the fact of anybody being forced 
uh, or being taken advantage of, which is fair enough, fair enough. Um, but as long as it is, is mutually consenting and it is pleasurable, uh, therefore, uh, that's what that type of sensuality that need to be pursued. And then I, I said that, yes, that then becomes what determines intimacy, the fact of being uh, being vulnerable in that particular sense. And then I said that that leads to sexual uh, identity, which is uh, the fact that you can identify either you are cisgender or you are, in other words, heterosexual, heteronormative, or you are, you know, same-sex attracted, or you are bisexual, or you are, you know, there's all sorts of variations to that. And, and so because it's grounded in the self, and in the pleasure and the emotional self, therefore the emotional self becomes sacred. So the emotional self could not be questioned. And once the emotional self has established its own sexual identity, that sexual identity becomes word of gospel. Therefore, if it was ever questioned, therefore, you know, I, I'll talk about that, how, how this entire thing becomes a bit more of a religious approach, mm. uh, because you know, when things get, you know, sanctified and become sacred, uh, all that follows from there is a religious idea. And so from there, reproduction becomes basically the last of them, uh, which is not necessary within uh, our context. Uh, sexuality is not now viewed as necessary for re reproduction because reproduction could happen by all sorts of other means. You know, surrogacy, for example, uh, you know, could, could bring about reproduction. Um, you know, it's, you know, you could IVF. There's all sorts of means to have children. You don't necessarily have to do, uh, to engage uh, sexual, sexually with someone to have a child from them. Mm. Okay. So these were the two broad uh, ideas we looked at. And I, I you know, I, I finished by saying uh, that our problem is that the self is in charge, the self is God, and therefore, you know, God is not God. So the battle is between whether there is God in heaven who determines who made the world and who determines how things should be and should be done. Uh, and, and, it's, and then and there is the self that want to be in charge and determine for the self whatever the self wants. And so, and I did establish that this was not just simply a problem with the, you know, instruction from a, from a manufacturer. Because remember, I said that if uh, Mercedes makes a car and it gives instruction, instruction manual, you don't argue against that. No, that's not. The, our problem is not with being instructed on the matter. Our problem is that we don't want God at all. We don't mm. want the divine foot in the door. And so you have, therefore, this, this war that goes on between the new established sort of sexual religion against the biblical sexual moral or morality. And so that's the clash you, you're finding uh, we, 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 we ourselves into. Let me, let me give a, a biblical text, because the question what was asked, what we're going to explore, was that now that we're here, and it seems like there is the God of self and the God of the creator, uh, and we are in a culture that is elevated self-pleasure and self-gratification, uh, self-sensuality, and the pursuit of self, you know, the pleasure of self in, in, in expression of their sexuality to their identity and so on and so forth. And so now we, we have a, a situation where there's a the biblical view, there's a church of God, and, and, and a conflict is starting to rise pretty quickly, mm. really rapidly. So what therefore will happen is these two views are uh, in the rat. 
And so that's, that's, that's where we're sort of looking at what, what are going to be the implications uh, between the Christian who hold onto the biblical sexuality, or at least what the Bible teaches about sexuality, and want to, you know, proselytize about that, want to talk about that, want to make sure that they raise their family according to that particular moral mm. or morality, and, and the culture that has got, you know, this sort of a very so different set of values uh, that are held with religious fervor at this point. So what's going to happen? So that, that's the question we're going to be looking at. Bef- before we, we, we go further, I mean, it's, I've seen you pause and you wanted to say something. <laughs> well, just I was right just, ahead. well, I was just going to say that, uh, I mean, you've got that opposing view. Yeah. And so at home, the children are being taught, if they've got Christian parents, yeah. they're being taught a particular way um, of, of approaching sexuality yes. and, um, and it's progress through, you know, as a child and, and you, you go up to adult. Yes. Um, but at school, they're being taught a completely different thing. Yeah. So there's this conflict then yeah. with, for a young person yeah. Yeah. who is living in a Christian home and wants to be faithful to God and, yes. and his word, yeah. but is being taught something quite different. Yes. And, and it's really being hammered yeah. quite differently um, in the classroom. Yeah. So you've got that thing happening as well in, in the culture, which yeah. is, could be very confusing for... Oh. Young people across the board. You're right on it. You're absolutely right on it. And I'm going to approach, uh, you know, the, 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 if you will, the logical conclusion or the logical implications of, yeah. of this, what we're observing right now in the culture. And, and you've, you've nailed it on, on the head. And let me pick up a scripture here. Um, just, just to, it, I was reading that scripture this morning and it just, it's a bit sobering. Um, here is, uh, you know, Apostle Paul writing to young Timothy, who Timothy, uh, you know, it said, established Timothy as the young pastor. Uh, you notice I didn't say Timothy. It was Timothy. <laughs> you know my um, look. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> so Apostle Paul had left the young Timothy as the, the young pastor of the church in Ephesus. And when you know that Ephesus was the city of the, 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 uh, the god Diana, the mm. god of the yep. Ephesian, yep. which is, who was the, the god of, of sexuality. Mm. Okay. Right. So, uh, just, just as an aside, and I, we'll get to that in a moment. And, and, um, so he, he gives these remarks, uh, Second Timothy chapter three, and I'm going to read from, um, verse one. But mark this, I'm reading from the NIV. There will be terrible times in the last days. Verse 2. People will be lover of themselves. Mm -hmm. People will be lover of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of, of the good. Treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Mm. Having a form of godliness but denying its power, having nothing to do, have nothing to do with them. That was his recommendation. Mm. Now, think think about the sobering words. He's saying in the last days, this is what you will happen. People love money, wealth, and you know, you know, prominence, and people will be lovers of self. Lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Mm. So, just just let that be just soberingly there sit. It is amazing, though, isn't it? When you read uh, the letters of Paul, how yeah. it leaps off the page exactly what we're living through at the moment. It it's does. like it's all sort of 
happened again it because does. that was really the community he was living in it and does. who he was evangelising to. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and now we're living in a similar community. Yeah, yeah. And I, I'll draw on those similarities in a moment. Now, here's, here's something that's quite intriguing, and I've said this over and over again over the years of being a missionary here, uh, that uh, the first thing that we, we, we've lost as a culture is the ability to philosophize. Okay, mm. from the secularist to the Christian inside our churches, we have become a culture of really bad thinkers. Okay, we don't really think very clearly. So when we hold on to an idea, we hold it with the fervor we can, all, all the fervor we can we can gather, but we don't think it through as much. So what I'm going to do is I uh, will take a, a quick break and I'm going to sort of uh, you know look at the conflict. And some of the ideas the culture is espousing, you can see how so poorly bad thinking has been going on. Yes. All right. Well, uh, on that note, we're going to listen to Amy Grant singing Thy Word. Thy Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my bed. Thy Word is a lamp to my feet and a light unto my bed. When I feel afraid, think I've lost my way, still you're there right beside me. Nothing will I fear as long as you are near. Please be near me to the
What an appropriate song. Yes, it is. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Yes. That's exactly what we're talking about. Yes. Look, looking at um, what the word of God says mm-hmm. about sexuality and, uh, and how to appropriately yep. um, see it and use yep. it in our lives. And so when we, uh, we, we just, uh, you know, before we, we, we cut that break there, I was in the middle of, of uh, you know, highlighting something uh, important and significant, which is that, um, think about it, you, you, you raised something quite interesting there, Alida. You said that, uh, you know, Christian parents teach the children sexuality age appropriately, mm-hmm. age appropriately. When it, that's if they do. Uh, just bear with me because I think uh, that, you know, you heard me say that uh, I think there has been an issue that the church has not been adequately, adequately teaching sexuality properly. Mm. Yeah. Uh, every time it's been talked about is sexual immorality. So even when we say parents teach their children sexuality, well, they sort of, um, you know, slow or, or slow walk <laughs> the, the kids into the process. Now, you know, now, we can't talk to you about this now. We can't. So there's not really deliberate teaching going on. And, and I encourage pastors and, and church leaders to start looking at teaching sexuality properly within the churches. Let it be part of your sermons. It says uh, the Bible teaches about it. So, you know, you can teach in your sermons. Just remove the taboo around it. Mm. Uh, but the parents... They've not been taught. What are you going to do? So, you know, just slow walk. In the past, they used to go, let, let the schools do uh, the work of teaching that because most of our schools within our culture was basically, uh, you know, within a Judeo-Christian world that was built on Judeo-Christian foundations. So things were not too bad until uh, the rising forces of secularism started to take over, you know, uh, and the way they ran the government and the way then they started to teach our schools. So now... Parents, Christian parents, find themselves into this contradictory place where they have a certain view of sexuality. Even they have not been explicitly teaching to their kids, but they're implicitly teaching it. Okay, yep. and so then the kids go to school and they taught the cultural uh, view of sexuality and told you know you, you don't know what what you who you are until you've tried and you've explored and and it could change over your lifetime. You know, don't box yourself up. And so just be open to, to trying uh, all sorts of different, you know, ways that you could acquire some pleasures. Now, so now you're thinking, well, of course, that is in direct contradiction with what Scripture teaches, right? Yes. But what I find is philosophically interesting is that when this postmodernist movement started which is you know you know built all all that we have right now it started out on an idea of relativism what's for you is for you what tickles your fancy is what you know each person to their own who are you to judge who are you to impose your truth who are you to impose your views on others right yeah. that's how it started yeah you know relativism postmodernistic thought and so on and so forth and so the secularists used to turn to the Christians and say, who are you to impose your point of view on everyone, right? Yeah. That's how it used to be. Yeah. But right now, guess what? Right now, the people who used to say, well, each person can decide for themselves and no one should impose their views on anyone, especially shove those views down the throat, have just turned around and those views are shoved down the throat of our children in school. Yes, that's right. Okay? Yeah. So you can, you can call that being philosophically untutored or having been just simply a hypocrite. I don't know what, I don't, I don't, I don't judge the intentions, 
But, you know, having been a hypocrite, knowing that this will happen, they just simply say, well, we'll pretend to be relativistic until we've, we've got enough, you know, sort of, uh, you know, power, and then we can impose our views. I don't know what it is. I can't, I can't know that. Don't, mm. I can't read people's hearts. But what can I, I can speak to is that that is not obvious to them. That is what is quite extraordinary. It tells you when people are f- philosophically untutored. So if it was up to people to decide, then why do you want to teach this view of sexuality now to all the youngins from kindergartens all the way through schools and parents, Christian parents, who have a different view and the society and culture knows that, are not given any say. You don't have the presentation of the two views. No, that's right. That's what I was just going to say. So that the kids will make up their mind. No, no, no. Why? Because the nature of truth, if anybody uttered the word truth at all, is because truth is always exclusive. Hmm. Truth is always compared to falsehood. And those who hold the truth will feel zealous, very zealous, to go about pursuing, teaching it to others who they believe are not in this truth. You get what I'm saying? Mm. So philosophically, once decided to say, well, look, you know, there's no absolute truth. It's your truth or my truth. They didn't realize that you cannot use the word truth without the sense that truth is always exclusive. Mm. If it is true, then the other view is false. Yeah. Okay? And so... What would you do with somebody you find that they hold a view that is false, which they don't want to leave, they don't want to quit that view when you explain it to them and they don't want to let it go? What do you do with people like that? You marginalize them because your truth is now word of gospel. Mm. And if you have the truth, you must therefore arbit- you, you, you need to, to be an arbitrator for it. You see, this is how the you know, religious uh, ideas are said. Mm. Religious idea will start with a certain view of God, which that religion, whether Christianity or any other, believes to be true. Mm. And then that religion establishes that truth and teaches it, proselytizes it, go and evangelize it. Yeah. Okay? And when they evangelize it, people within who had come to believe this truth, who want to depart from it, get punished or ostracized or excommunicated. Mm. That's the religious term, excommunicate. Yep. All right? Well, we're cancelled now. Yeah, <laughs> it's we're the we're same thing as well. Exactly. <laughs> you get excommunicated. Yeah, we get cancelled from culture. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> and those who are not part of that particular religious tradition are pursued to be preached these views to the point where, at some point, if the view becomes so predominant that they're cornered, they're cornered to accept that view or lose a certain benefit, or it could be societal point of view, the way mm. society looks at you, and things like that. Now, what I've just explained here is is the way the religious process works. Mm-hmm. Go to every place where there is a certain dominance of a particular religion, whether it is in when it is the Christendom, uh, or when it, you go into the Middle East, where it's uh, you know uh, you know it's, it's Islamic countries, for example, or you go to you know. Eastern religions, like if you go to a country like India, in areas where it's Hindu-dominated, or you go to Burma, for example, um, where it is, you know, Buddhist-dominated, and see how people of all other views find themselves squeezed out, right? Yeah, yeah. And so the 
our, our culture here thought we're going to shake off the shackles of religion. Mm. And we're going to be a free society without religion, without realizing you can, once you start to claim truth, you'll have to have a way to proselytize it. Okay? Mm. You could do it by just publicly proselytizing. Now, it's on TV, it's on every ad, it's everywhere, mm -hmm. it's in books. It's called proselytizing. Mm -hmm. And then it's taught in schools yeah. because it is the truth. Yes. But ask them, well, do you think they're teaching it because it's just simply one of the truths? Do they give, you know, all the other views in the same space? No, it is the truth. And so anybody who deviates from it will be punished, will be ostracized. And that's what religious views are. But here's the difference with the Christian message. Mm. Different with the Christian messages, people who did the ostracizing and so on and so forth were not fulfilling the very word of Christ. Why? Because the Christian message says that God is at the end of it all, the final judge. So mm -hmm. that even those who reject him right now, even if they were in the Christendom, and they still need to be free to reject him without repercussion. Okay? Now, you can say to me, but I've lived through Christians who have acted this way, that way. I know. It's called human nature. When you put human nature and religion sort of interacting together. I said that now, look at how in our culture today, people even who are prominent within the culture, who don't espouse these religious ideas, I'm saying culturally held religious ideas about sexuality. Mm. I'm talking about sensuality. I'm talking about the idea of intimacy, but the biggest of them will be sexual identity. If you dare question that, you will be cancelled. Yes. So in other words, you'll be excommunicated. Yes. Right? You'll be cancelled. You'll be excommunicated. And so, you know, I, I, was, I was looking at some particular name, you know, J.K. Rowland. Rowland, yeah. She's written uh, the Harry Potter's. Uh, she dared to question the idea that, you know, females, you know, were females and and, 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 and as opposed to transgender women, and um, that was absolutely a storm. And, and you can right now, I'm that's just giving that as an example. There was a, this gentleman called uh, a famous boxer, uh, Manu Pacquiao from uh, the Philippines. He lost his contract, which is a way of you know punishment. Yeah, uh, with a, with a, a big sponsor because he just simply questioned the sexual attraction of, between men and men. And he, he used the nature as a template to say, well, even in nature you can see. But though his words were considered to be absolutely unnatural because why? It is against the religiously held cultural idea, which is true mm. in the culture's views. So therefore, you can therefore find yourself uh, that the clash is going to continue growing because it's not just simply benign ideas it is religiously held it is religiously held all right well we're going to walk on water with jason crab everybody covets everybody lies Everybody's done it sometime in their lives And we all slip We don't mean to 
how you walk on land. Uh, I just love these songs. They are just so amazing, aren't they, really? Um, Samuel, we're yes. talking about how we're, we're heading for a bit of a clash. There are two very distinct yeah. uh, worldviews standing here, yeah. and uh, one, is, one is truth. Which one? You know, the world looks at their own truth, and we've got the truth of the Bible. Yes. So um, you're coming to an inevitable um, extrapolation of how this clash is going to come the together and what yeah. the repercussions of that is. Yes. And so I, I wanted to, uh, you know, establish that, that very fact that once you have um, truth established, what you do is truth becomes a source of morals. Okay? Because, you know, it, it's, it's, it's just simply sh- 
simple flow of clear thinking. Mm. What is true becomes what is good or right to hold, right? So why would somebody hold on to falsehood as something right? Falsehood is not right to hold. Truth is right to hold. So you go from truth to moral, mm. okay? From truth to morality. This, if this is true, then anyone who holds falsehood and acts accordingly, of course, is in the wrong. This is why people who then hold something to be true want to make sure that they convert anybody else who does not know or believe the truth to the truth. And those who deliberately refuse to obey the truth then will be, especially if it's been presented to them and they have a point of view and they are deliberately opposing the truth, then they will be viewed as being in the wrong and therefore being deliberately in the wrong and only evil people can be deliberately in the wrong. Are you getting what I'm saying? This is just simply a simple down progression. Truth is then what establishes morality. This is why God is truth first. Yeah. And so in that sense, once our culture is held that this sexual view, the view of sexuality that the culture holds is true, then it flows that that's the right view to have. And if it's the right view to have, it's the right view for society and to live by. And anybody who opposes it is doing the wrong thing. And so what do you do with what is right and what is wrong? If you want to enforce right and discourage what is wrong, what you do is you legislate. Mm. You see, uh, you know, um, uh, Plato used to say that the law must be built on the necessary foundation of morality. Mm. Okay? So if a law is immoral, it's therefore unjust. So you notice, therefore, as a progression, all the laws that were built on the biblical view of sexuality had now been had come to be considered as bad, immoral, and should be reformed. Mm. Should be changed. Yep. Okay? Why? They should be changed to reflect the truth. And so you've seen a, a wave of you know laws being passed, uh, you know, culminating in the change of marriage act and so on and so forth, which is now the law of our land that reflects the sexual uh, the view of sexuality of our culture, right? Mm, yeah. And so that was just where, where things started from. And then, now, what you do once you pass the laws, let's say, for example, give you an example. If you pass, when you pass the law, whatever the law requires is considered to be right unless somebody starts to argue that the law was wrong and immoral for the law to be changed. That way you get moral reformers. Mm. And so now, the person who knows what the law says and yet continues to hold a view that is against the law, is therefore pushing for a view that is illegal and therefore immoral. So what do you do with people like that? You therefore pass laws that are more likely to criminalize mm. people who hold those views yeah. and are more likely to continue to propagate them. Mm. This is just, just regular progression. So we've gone from the change in the marriage act now to laws like in, in Victoria being passed. Uh, it was called a, a, a conversion bill. It's a law now in, yeah. in, in this land of ours in Victoria. And, and it's being considered by, you know, all, all number of states across the land here in Australia to say that if a parent taught 
the biblical view of sexuality to the child who has espoused the truth view of the culture as taught at school and who want to identify with that, therefore shall be met with the full force of the law. Yeah. Okay. Now, I'm establishing this is, this is what was already happening. Yes. It is only a, a logical progression of when people have come to believe in truth. So, these things being believed in, the ideas that were believed, mattered. They still matter. And ideas matter a lot. Yeah. So, in that sense, those who all the biblical view will find themselves slowly, slowly. It's just the beginning, I can guarantee you. At the forefront of this, some 15, 20 years ago, if this was said that this will happen and the law would be passed in a place like Victoria to say, even if you prayed for someone, you know, who was struggling with the view of sexuality and they felt that way, and if you prayed for them, you'd be jailed. Somebody would have said, look, you're losing your mind. Yes, that's wrong. Okay. Now, I therefore want to establish some, 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 some historic, um, you know, uh, precedency. See, the things that are happening right now are not that new. No. They're very, very old. Yeah. We're just returning to things that used to happen. Uh, the, the way to see it is to look at throughout, so you're asking where the, the clash is coming, so what, what's going to happen? Go back into church history and find out that, you know, I was reading, uh, you know, uh, this, this uh, an author has written a, a book uh, which, which, which was titled In Bed with the Romans. Right. Uh, the author is, is Paul. Uh, let's see if I can see Paul's last name. So that uh, Paul Crystal is uh, written the, the the book in the, in bed with uh, with the Romans, was published in 2015, uh, describing what was sexuality like in the Roman Empire. Mm. It was exactly as it is right now. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's because the enemy's <laughs> the enemy just repeats himself, doesn't right, he? Right, right. Because <laughs> he so, knows it works. I know. When mm. you say the enemy, I, th- I want people on that yeah, program sorry. to not see you talking about human beings. No, no. You, you're the talking spiritual. about the biblical view yes. that there's the devil yep. who influences human history as well. He influences you, uh, you know, people and so on and so forth. That knowingly or unknowingly, some knowingly, some unknowingly, and influence including the Christians. Yep. The Bible doesn't discriminate. Even the Christians can be influenced by, yes, that's right. by, by the devil. So when you say the enemy, for somebody doesn't misconstrue what you're saying, say, oh, okay, so you're describing other people as human the enemies. No, no. no. Okay. Thank so, you for clarifying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have to in this yeah, day and age. That's right. So, in that sense, uh, so in in the Roman uh, Empire era, you know, there was no, the boundaries of of sexuality were very very loose. Mm. Okay. I can, if we had time, I could read to you tons of materials on this. But this is, you know, I've seen actually, I've started to see some is, you know, revisionists trying to rewrite Roman sexuality. It's like you can find a lot of paintings, artifacts, you know, but, you know, Pompeii, for example, was absolutely a city of sexual promiscuity. By the way, today, the language, the term sexual promiscuity is, is disappearing. Mm. You, you could have talked about sexual promiscuity only when there was ba- there were boundaries. Yeah. But it, since there is none, you know, you know, everything can be enjoyed. Why would you talk about promiscuity in the first place? So the Romans had established that, and so when the Christian Church started, the Christians held unto the views 
And what was the difference between the Jews and the Christians? The Jews stayed among themselves. Now, Christianity was considered a sect of the Jewish religion. Mm. But what the Christians did was what the Jews never did, used to do. They went to all the Gentiles and proselytized and told them that their God, Jesus, was the God. Yep. And what he taught about all matters of life, including sexuality, was what was correct. Mm. And so, therefore, that was quite counterculture at the time. And here is, uh, there's also reasons why Christians were persecuted during the Roman era. But I want to pick up one particular one. And, um, you know, uh, that, that I want to read here, um, which is here. Like the, the in, in the Roman culture, it was allegiance to the Roman gods, allegiance to the Roman emperor, and whatever the emperor basically subscribes to. So when you had uh, Roman emperors like Nero or or, or even even the Stoic uh, like Marcus Aurelius, you know those uh, their, their sexuality was way out there. And so what happened therefore in that era is that the Christians were viewed as they had a sexual morality that was too clean for society. Mm. Okay. Now, they were not evil as they did something really particularly wrong. Their teaching on sexuality was just too different from the Romans. And when the Romans organized, you know, whether it's Roman baths or, or, you know, some of the, you know, sexual parties, the Christians never joined. Yeah. Okay. And so it was quite a bit of a judgment on the Romans just by the Christian not only attitude, but also the way they taught sexuality. And the Christian message added an appeal f- from the lower classes. So the lower classes, had, you know, they were the ones that were mostly attracted to the Christian message. And, and so because of that, um, and, 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 and therefore the Christians were viewed as they were perverting the Roman ways. Mm-hmm. Right? Perverting the Roman ways. Yeah. And so therefore, from and this is one of the reasons. So from a state point of view, an emperor's point of view, the Christians therefore needed to be arrested uh, for those reasons as well. Mm. And so we basically had it back there. Yes. I'm not prophesying, it's already here. Yeah, that's right. Okay. And so that's why we had it, because this, this, these things are coming to a head. Mm. All right. Well, we're going to uh, wrap it up in the next session, but... Um Until then, let's have a listen to I Have Decided to Follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus I have decided to follow Jesus no turning back no turning back i
turning back, no turning back. Cause before me, the world behind. Listening to 105.1 Life FM Bendigo's Positive Choice, and we're just going to go into our final little wrap up mm. of our discussion about sexuality. And we have a choice to make, don't we? Really? Yes. As, as Christians, we are in a society, as you're saying, similar to Roman times, and, uh, and we could all go to the Bible and read all those letters of Paul yes. um, as he's writing to, to the Corinthians and the Galatians and the Ephesians yes. and the Romans and yes. everybody else. And really we can find the tools that we need and the encouragement that we need yes. uh, to ride what is the wave of um, secular culture that yes. has uh, really wanting to wipe out the Christian worldview. Yeah, yeah. And so what you have, uh, as you said there, so these religiously held ideas have come to a head. Mm. And so what happened during all the, you know, the persecutions of Christians in Rome, uh, you know, from the Nero, Nero persecution to the Dacian persecution to uh, the Galerius um, uh, persecution, uh, you, know, you know, you start from, uh, you know, um, earlier on, uh, before 70 AD, uh, 250, 303, um, all the way to when Constantine uh, comes into power, you know, the Christians were viewed as a danger, evil danger to a Roman society. Mm. You can therefore see how the Romans described them. And, and that it's reminiscent of what actually Christians have been called right now, you know, you know, bigots and all sorts of, uh, you know, names that, uh, you know, um, I was actually shocked that the premier of Victoria once when the debate was going on, he says, I don't listen to bigoted quacks. Mm. So you can see, it's, it's actually quite extraordinary that he could have the, the, the privilege to describe all the people that way. And if a Christian had ever said anything like that, you could imagine the firestorm. But he could say with any, you know, it's, yeah, you, know, the, the, you know, what do you do with people who don't hold the truth, who then don't, don't ally up with the morality the truth dictate? And who then don't align up with the laws of our land? So when the I want to, I, I, you know, I assure you, 
when the Christians were arrested and when they were put in jails, they were arrested because they had broken the laws. Mm. Right? They did. They were asked to bow before the emperors or be, to join the Romans into the Roman culture and the Christians didn't. And the Christians continued to proselytize their idea. They didn't want to bow before Roman gods, not before the emperor. They didn't want to bow before the Roman culture. And therefore, they were... And the laws were, this is what you do. You're in Rome, you do what, they, what the Romans Rome. do. And <laughs> that, so, that's where that saying came from, isn't it? So... Rightfully so, the people who punished them thought they were actually doing the right thing. Mm. We get into that point where people say, well, but you're breaking the law. And so, oh, but you're doing is wrong, therefore. And so it's now, it's like when the apostles were asked before the Sanhedrin, you know, hey, don't do anything in this name anymore. And they're like, well, we've got God and we've got you. Yeah. We've got men and we've got God. Which way do you think we should go? And that's the big thing, isn't it? It's, these people have put themselves up as God. They've taken yeah. God out of the equation. Yes. They've set themselves up as God. Yeah. They've worked on their own truth, so to speak. Yeah. And now they're ramming it down the throats, yeah, yes. throats of people yeah. who believe that God is ultimately the one who sets truth. Yes. And so, and this is where we had it. I'm mm. not, you know, as a missionary to this beautiful land of ours, and, uh, and having observed all these things happening, and, you know, to me it's sobering to say to the believer who's still sleeping, thinking, it's all good. Well, I'm saying that there's, the, the time that we live in is that the person, I, I'm, I'm actually very grateful for the question that was asked about the two different views between the biblical sexuality and mm. the culture. Because look at how much we've been able to pull from there. And so... You're asking me, what's going to happen? It's going to be a big clash. Yeah. And right now, power is in the hand of the culture. Mm. But I don't want you to lose hope or lose, lose heart. Because the early Christians, knew, here's the sobering words of Apostle Paul again, Romans 12. Romans chapter 12, and I'm going to read from verse 1. Uh, very, very sobering. Everybody knows this verse. Um, mm. Therefore, I urge you, brothers... In the view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing. Mm. This is your spiritual act of worship. So go to offer yourself, offer your body as living sacrifice. And it goes on to say, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. And he's talking here about the culture of the world. Because these Christian Romans had basically become believers, so they didn't have to go back into that. Mm. We, we've had a Christian domain here, and if you're a believer, you don't go back into the cultural understanding and definition of, of sexuality. But it says, be you transformed by the renewing of your mind, then you will be able to test and approve what is God's will is good and pleasing and perfect will. Mm. And so what the Christians go to go and go, well, I have an allegiance to Christ. Yep. And I've been in allegiance to God and I will not be conformed. Mm. And I will be transformed by the renewal of my mind through God's word. And so I'll read because like often I say when a Christian is faced with a secularist who thinks that the Christian is unthinking and is, is untutored and, and so on and so forth. If the Christian was a good apologist, 
Okay? Mm. If the Christian knew how to defend the Christian worldview, anybody who brings it, I say, let's start with the concept of God. Does he, doesn't he exist? Let's start there. Yeah. Because once you put God back into where he belongs, everything else falls into order on your side from the biblical point of view. Mm. But the culture has removed him, so whatever else happens is just simply whatever culture decides. So the culture imposes its rules, and in schools, in our companies, and in, in, wherever you work, now the, the rules are established. And if you hold Christian biblical worldview of sexuality, you have to zip it. Just be quiet. Don't talk about it. Don't, don't propound it. But later on, it shall be found, if you hold it really, maybe you're still a danger even if you are quiet. So it makes it very important for all Christians to stand together. I think one of the things that's always so disappointing is that the Christian voice is not out there. There are a few people with their heads up, um, you know, like Mark Niles, for instance, at the ACL, um, and, and other people like him that are, are, are talking about these things in the public space. Mm. And, and yourself, it's always a blessing to, to have you around. But, you know, these people need more than just one person. You know, yes. everybody needs to stand up and be counted because... There is power in numbers, yeah. and uh, and we need to understand that we have a voice, yeah. and that we need to be so- solid together on our views yeah. about what's happening in culture and how that is is not godly. It is why why I've put this appeal to all my fellow, you know, servants of God, men, women of God who believe in the Christian worldview. You have people under your care. You need to teach. Mm. about these topics. You need to teach about biblical sexuality. You need to teach about other culture. And if you if you need resources, just let us know. We are happy to provide some some pointers and, and some resources. The gospel of Christ must be preached and it shall not be silenced. No. no. You know, Apostle Paul says, uh, you know, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation. First mm. to the Jews. The Greek for the rest of the world. And the rest of the world. And thank goodness it has come to the rest of the world. Well, Samuel, can I just thank you for, for tackling this subject? Um, it's not, it's very brave of you. Um, and it's, it's not something that, uh, everybody wants to talk about. But, um, well, I think they do. They talk about it amongst themselves, but not necessarily in the public space. Yes. And so, um, it's been a real blessing to be able to, uh, facilitate uh, this last three weeks. And uh, just so our listeners know, we are going to tackle the dog, qu- the God question. Um, so we are, we're, go- we're going to go there and, um, and really expand who God is, uh, why we believe in God, and, uh, and, and what that means uh, for the whole world. So um, I'm really excited about doing that.